objection to the rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Friday, October 29th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, October 31st. So happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. (laughs) My name is Reese Robinson. I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? It's good. This is my favorite time of year. Me too. <laughs> now that it's cold. Yes, and dark and spooky. The best. The greatest. I know, right? I watched this really interesting documentary on YouTube about um, African-American celebration of Halloween, like mm. from all the way from like the beginning of time. And it was very interesting, the different iterations of it. I mean, I, not all of it was pretty, but it was definitely mm-hmm. the history of Halloween is really cool, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it in different cultures. Totally. Cool. Uh, all right, cool. So on today's episode, for our local news segment, we'll be discussing the myth of tainted Halloween candy. Our national segment is about how many Americans actually believe in ghosts. For world news, we have a great story about origins of enigmatic mummies buried in a Chinese desert. And we have some good news about trick-or-treating from Dr. Fauci. So we're going to go ahead and kick off our episode today with our local news segment. Emily, you're up. All righty. Uh, So this Halloween story comes from an October 27th New York Times article uh, by Daniel Victor and Amy Ortiz. Um, And it's it's like mostly local. I think the most local part about it is that it's the New York Times, but it's a great story. Um, It's titled That Tainted Halloween Candy Myth Just Won't Go Away. Despite a lack of evidence, warnings about dangers lurking in treats have been an annual ritual for decades. The newest twist involves weed. The article explains, quote, As children go trick-or-treating, it is exceedingly unlikely that your neighbor will put a razor blade in an apple, poison a wrapped Snickers bar, or, in this year's version of the same old story, swap THC-laced gummies for regular candy, tricking innocent youngsters into accidentally getting high. Sorry, it's not funny. Um, Historically, such acts have not just been rare, but very close to completely undocumented. The lack of evidence has done little to reassure parents, the police, and some in the media who have reported the mostly unverified claims for decades. Typically, the warnings come before Halloween, instructing parents to inspect their children's hall for any signs of foul play. In recent years, years, with marijuana becoming legal in more states, the concern has shifted to children accidentally ingesting edible weed candies laced with THC and designed to look like traditional snacks. Quote, the specter of THC lace candies is no more threatening than past baseless legends, said Joel Best, <clears throat> said Joel Best, a sociology professor at the University of Delaware, who has studied the topic since 1983. He's found virtually no evidence of it happening in real life, despite the annual ritual of headlines and warnings. This spreads primarily among people who have no idea what this stuff costs, he said. A 500 milligram bag of a THC-infused Cheetos-like snack can be found online for $15 and up, while THC-laced imitations of Sour Patch Kids will cost at least $20. That price makes them something few people would give away, he said. The legend may have its roots in 1959, when a dentist in California handed out laxative pills coated in candy, causing 30 children to fall sick. The police said 450 of the pills were put into the trick-or-treat bags of youngsters, according to a UPI report published in the New York Times a few days after Halloween that year. Wait, you said a dentist? Yeah. 
that you know this is like the evil dentist in little shop of horrors like when steve steve martin was like that sick ass dentist oh my god i love little shop of horrors by the way that's one of my favorite plays for the time of year it's on hbo max you gotta if you haven't seen it watch it but oh my god that's that part of why people hate the dentist it might be i mean i know i do the Yikes. case against dentists keeps adding up. Uh, anyway, interesting fun fact, yes. Um, so, quote, Mr. Best, who has tracked media coverage in major newspapers every year since 1958, said the fear hit its peak in the early 1970s. Those treats may be tricks, the, New- the Times warned in 1970. Take, for example, that plump red apple that Junior gets from a kindly old woman down the block, the Times wrote that year, and may have a razor blade hidden inside. The chocolate candy bar may be a laxative. The bubble gum may be sprinkled with lye. The popcorn balls may be coated with camphor. The candy may turn out to be packets containing sleeping pills. Uh, the panic died down and then resurged in the early 1980s when cyanide-laced Tylenol killed seven people. And, quote, the Internet age would allow for more pranksters to claim they had found foreign objects in their candy. After all, kids playing tricks on adults is one of the main points of Halloween, and it's not difficult to create a fraudulent Instagram post, he, meaning Mr. Best, said. But he continued to find few confirmed cases of children actually being harmed by treats. And that is an interesting little history report from the New York Times about all those, you know, candy, tainted candy fears being basically baseless, except for like one time in <laughs> the 1950s when an evil dentist just wanted to destroy everyone's fun um i just thought it was pretty interesting i mean i know the united states is like an extremely fear-based society (laughs) so it doesn't really surprise me um but it was pretty interesting that it's like there's hardly any actual examples of this legitimately being a thing I think that's interesting, but I yeah. almost fear fear it a little bit more now. Like, ah! you know, the, the, because like the edible thing is like so huge now, mm-hmm. you know, you even have to protect your pets from shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty common for that to be out there, but you know, people just going through a lot. So make sure y'all still check the kids candies because don't just be believing these people out here. Like. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Teresa, ever the skeptic. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think you need to be careful, but it feels to me that with the, the weed lace one that I think it's more likely to be an issue like for you accidentally giving it to someone in your own home because I think I think the article yeah I think the article makes the point that it's so expensive that like no one's gonna like purposely be like handing it out that's the main thing I was hearing about that as well so you gotta be you know like people don't want to give that type of stuff away you know so it's um I know that like it's not uh, Halloween related, but there are people who like, let's say if you are a recreational drug user, like things can be laced with something and then you could unexpectedly like get really sick. And it seems almost like people are extending that same logic to candy that's being given away for children. And it's like the context in which one would happen, it would make a lot more sense than in the others because like the people that are going out of their way to make sure they get a bunch of candy like to give out to kids that's a massive group of people as opposed to like the people that might be dealing like in some type of illicit drug purposefully lacing another drug to get somebody hooked on it or to potentially Mm -hmm. hurt someone like it's just not like those i feel like those are two circles that don't likely overlap but it seems like a lot of the fear-mongering um, is similar. 
Um, I found more information about the dentist. If you guys want to hear more about, yeah, <laughs> was he trying to like job. make them not want <laughs> candy, this dude? And what happened to him? Oh all my right, god! Right. Hold down, hold down. So this is from a publication called thetakeout.com. I don't know much about it, but um, they, it looks like it's the same like uh, same parent company as like the AV Club and and Jezebel. Um, and the article is called "Trick or Excrete." This laxative-obsessed dentist almost ruined Halloween um, by Lillian Stone. It came out this year, earlier in October. Um, It says, Dr. William Shine's 1959 Halloween prank kicked off decades of trick-or-treat paranoia. (laughs) Um, So, let's see. There's a lot of, like, the author's backstory. Okay. So, yeah. So, Per the CBC, the first report of adulterated Halloween treats occurred in 1959. That Halloween, a California dentist named William Shine distributed 450 candy-coated laxative tablets to children. Why did he do this? We don't know. Maybe he was trying to prove a point about the dental perils of sugar, Jasmine, like you said, although the candy-addicted youngsters almost certainly kept him in business. Right. Maybe he possessed an uncannily scatological sense of humor. Maybe he thought the neighborhood kids looked a little plugged up and on hope to offer them some relief. Oh man, I feel so oh bad God. for the. This is not funny. No, that's it's awful. Not funny. It's not oh, funny. It's this author. It's not funny. No, it's that's right. It is not funny. But this Why author is having a lot of fun guessing. Yeah, um, that's true. It's not funny. The kids got really sick. Yeah, uh, but they all recovered fine. Um, so we can assume that becoming violently ill means meant pooped a ton and went to bed. The author really had fun with this. I'm sorry. Um, eventually the townsfolk traced that the tampered with candy to shine's place. He was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs after sitting through what I assume was the most embarrassing criminal trial of all time. Um, yeah. And then now more than six decades later, it's clear that his prank created a sinister legacy. Um, yeah. Just more than more of the other stuff. So I guess, yeah, no one, it seems like it's not really well known if it ever came out in the trial, um, why he did it, but yeah, fucked up. Oh, psychology today did an article about it in 2015. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, this, it reminds me a lot of, um, like the function of, cause you use the word myth a lot. Like there's a lot of myths and like pieces of folklore. Like when you think of like Grimm's fairy tales, where it's obviously something that's like sort of fantastical, mm-hmm. but it served like a function in that group to kind of like scare kids away from trusting a stranger or something like that, you know? And I wonder if this is like many generations from now or like a hundred years from now, like it's kind of a similar type thing, like where there's this um boogeyman like figure Mm -hmm. or like type of myth or overblown um idea of like oh like be careful because Mm -hmm. like the sick ass dentist might get you like with the candy you know and it's really just like a stand-in for the just the general like desire to kind of keep your kids safe by any means and like also to kind of like trick them into taking precautions or something Mm -hmm. like it's it's like interesting Yes, it just seems to me like a modern day version of Mm -hmm. that, you know. Being careful. I do want to note the Psychology Today article actually says that um, 30 kids got pretty sick, although one and one actually did suffer irreparable harm. So it really isn't funny. Um, Oh, man. 
I don't I mean, know. Yeah, when kids have diarrhea yeah. and stuff, that's really serious. Yeah, like, probably fucked up his probably fucked up his stomach. Yeah, so I do. I it's not funny at all. Even though that other article had a lot of fun with the wordplay. Um, yeah. Oh, fucked up. But yeah, but it is. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for that yeah. story, Emily. Um, yeah. Still check the kids' candy, y'all. Don't let them yes. just go ham, okay? Yes, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm introducing the first song, right, Teresa? What, yeah, After what do you have for us? Coming up on our first musical break, I'm really excited. Um, most people, if not everyone, um, is familiar with the Monster Mash by Bo- Bobby Boris P- uh, Pickett and the Crypt, Keep- Crypt Kickers. Uh, but not everyone knows that they actually have a whole series of 1960s novelty Halloween music and all of it is pretty amazing. Um, so I'm really excited to be playing one for you called Sinister Stomp. Uh, and we'll be right back with more news on Radio Free Brooklyn after the break. Girls like to rock, zombies like to roll, but I dig the stomp cause it's good for the cell. On a graveyard prowl late one night, I tripped on a body and got quite a fright. As my fear subsided, my anger grew, I proceeded to stomp with the heel of my shoe. It keeps Janusz alive, it makes Frankie jive, and it's mine all mine. It keeps my gills in line. I stomped and stomped like a crazy fool. How was I to know it was Janusz the Ghoul? But nevertheless, I was having fun. for the sinister stomp that made Janusz run. It keeps Janusz alive. It makes Frankie jive. And it's mine all mine. It keeps my gills in line. They should teach him not to sleep on the job. He's getting bad habits from his playmate, the blob. But now it's midnight, the monster will romp. Keep him in line with the sinister stomp. It's sinister stomp. Keeps Janusz alive. It's sinister stomp. It makes Frankie jive. It's sinister stomp. And it's mine, all mine. It's sinister stomp. La 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 la. Try to stomp till your heart content. Find that your energy's spent To this stomp, there is a knack Ask Janusz, it broke his back It keeps Janusz alive It makes Frankie jive And it's mine all mine It's a killer, you know Everybody's doing it It's a real groovy you can follow our social media accounts we have an instagram account and we also have a facebook account our facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free bk no spaces no punctuation our instagram account is at Objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Thanks, and here's Teresa. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for our national news segment, Jasmine, you're up. Okay, so this um, this article was in the New York Times. It was published uh, uh, yesterday, so a day before we're recording on the 28th of October. And the title is a question. Many Americans say they believe in ghosts. Do you? Um, And it was written by Anna P. Camp Hampity, K-A-M, 
B-H-A-M-P-A-T-Y. Um, so I'm going to read the majority of the article. I cut out a little, a few pieces of it um, just for the sake of time, but here goes. There are a number of different ways to quantify belief among Americans in so-called paranormal phenomena. One way is to ask a selection of people representative of the population if they believe in ghosts. In a 2019 Ipsos poll, 46% of respondents said they did. Another is to ask what they fear. This year, according to the Chapman University Survey of American Fears, about 9% of 1,035 adults surveyed said they feared ghosts and the same amount said they feared zombies. Many more people said they were afraid of government corruption, the coronavirus, or widespread civil unrest. The last time Gallup surveyed people about ghosts in 2005, 32% of respondents said they believed in ghosts or that spirits of dead people can come back in certain places and situations. When Gallup asked the same question in 1990, the result was 25%. So over 15 years, it looks like it went up seven percentage points. Such beliefs have pervaded U.S. culture and media for centuries, but some researchers are now studying whether their rise may be tied, in part, to the rise over the past few decades of Americans claiming no religious preference. People are looking to other things or non-traditional things to answer life's big questions that don't necessarily include religion, said Thomas Mowen, a sociologist at Bowling Green State University. For a continuing study on religion and paranormal belief, for example, Moen said he was finding that atheists tend to report higher belief in the paranormal than religious folk. Last year, the share of Americans who belong to religious congregations fell below 50% for the first time in more than 80 years, according to a Gallup poll released in March. And the percentage of people claiming no religion tr nearly tripled from 78 to 2018, according to the General so Social Survey. The General Social Survey found that as religious affiliation declined over four decades, belief in the afterlife remained relatively steady. In 1978, about 70% of those surveyed believed in the afterlife, and about 74% reported the same in 2018. Paranormal television, film, and media of all sorts also play a significant role in the perpetuation of belief in the supernatural. Sharon Hill, author of the 2017 book, Scientifical Americans, The Culture of Amateur Paranormal Researchers, says the rise of nonfiction paranormal television shows like sci-fi's Ghost Hunters, which averaged about 3 million viewers per episode at its peak, as particularly influential in the culture. Some paranormal investigation groups in the U.S. say they have received more requests than usual during the pandemic. Don Collins, a director at Fringe Paranormal, a group in Toledo, Ohio, that investigates claims of unexplained happenings, said his team has been contacted for residential investigations or information on a weekly basis this year, as opposed to the typical one or two requests per month they got before the pandemic. I think part of it I think part of it is that since a lot of people are at home due to COVID, if there is something paranormal going on, they're actually home to notice it, Collins said. People try to explain things happening through paranormal means when they can't find an explanation for things that are going on, he continued. Negative things are happening around them. They may tend to attribute it to paranormal activity. 
Baker put it another way, religion and supernatural belief tend to go up in times of what we would call existential crisis or more existential perils, he said. The increased suffering and death caused by the pandemic means that people are more likely to have experiences with death recently. That may bring up these sort of issues of wondering about spirits of loved ones. Okay, so I'm going to end it there. Like the article continues a little bit further, uh, but you can find it in the Times. And the title again is Many Americans Say They Believe in Ghosts. Do you? And now I want to ask my co-host, do you believe in ghosts? First of all, I just want to say I really enjoyed listening to that story. I'm definitely going to check out the rest of that article. Um, but I also, I don't, I can let Teresa go first because, uh, or Reese, I can let Reese go first. That's funny because I was going to let you go first. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I was actually talking about this this week with someone. I, um... Well, like, first of all, like Jewish people don't believe in hell and they're not really sure about the afterlife. Like a big part of the the religion is like, we don't really know what happens. Mm. Um, so that makes things interesting. I do love when people like I know tell me they've had a supernatural experience. I've never really had one with ghosts, but like I would like, you know, knock on wood, I think I'd, I'd like to. Like, I think I like to believe that stuff like that happens because um like, I think the idea that there is an afterlife is something really, really interesting. Uh, it'd be really cool. Um, that being said, I do believe, though, that there are, like, places that collect, like, bad energy. Um, like, I remember I was in Paris once, and I went. I was really excited to go to the catacombs. I was like, ooh, spooky, like, fun, historical, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I was down there, I was like, I need to get out of here immediately. <laughs> it was, like, this awful, awful feeling that I didn't expect to have at all um just like super super bad energy down there um so that's those are my my thoughts on that interesting okay well I do believe in ghosts um and I think it's probably just stems from ever since I was a kid my mom was actually really into Halloween so this is huge in our house um and I just think that I've never really been afraid of the dark like that whole realm so I've always kind of just dibbled and dabbled but I remember in high school my first experience I feel like encountering we did a Ouija board thing for one of our friends who had just passed um and we all were a little freaked out just because she was one of our friends who died and that is you know, that's what her name spelled out on the Ouija board. So everybody kind of freaked out. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, that she passed. Thank you. Um, everybody kind of freaked out, but I was really intrigued because I was, you know, kind of mourning. So a couple of us stayed on the board and she, you know, long story short, like the message was we were crying because we believed it. So that was kind of like the first experience. But I've had other encounters in my travels. I did the catacombs as well when I was in Egypt. Um, and, and even in the temples and stuff like that, like I, I always believed in the afterlife. I always believe in that. Now, whether ghosts just, you know, stay here because of whatever reason or why they're here, I believe there are spirits rocking among us. I just always have been that. And it's not always so dark and scary, though they do exist. But sometimes I just kind of, you know, I've been places where things happen. And it's like, oh, I don't believe in coincidence. So maybe we're not alone here. But um you know, most people fear it and I just never really had a fear of it. So maybe that welcoming spirit maybe kind of um, influenced my belief. What about you, Jasmine? Um, well, I would say generally I would answer like, no, like I don't believe in ghosts and things. But 
as I've gotten older, I feel like I've been more open to, you know, taking things very seriously as far as like having respect for the dead and like places where people are buried. And um, like, I personally don't have any kind of religious practice at all. I think I've mentioned that on the show. Um, like I grew up in like a, like a kind of like extremely religious background I would say and it never really suited me so I'm really not and it was like a background where like you know there was no belief in like an afterlife or like those types of things were considered to be like evil or like demonic so I I did not observe Halloween or anything like throughout my childhood I am making up for lost time with my black cat (laughs) and everything um but I do like as I've gotten older I feel like um the more I read about like different types of religious practices that are, you know, not monotheistic, but maybe more like ancestor, like ancestor based. And like, you know, the way that, you know, when I follow stories about like things that are collected in museums and things like being more sensitive to like, you know what, this is someone who died and, you know, they were put away and, you know, they had a life, they had, you know, the people that buried them believed that their spirit was going to go to some other place and then someone disturbed that, you know, so it's like, even though I, I wouldn't say that I believe in ghosts per se, I do feel like I am more open to like holding space, like for people who do have those beliefs and being like respectful of the idea of like, um, like good and bad energy or like having like reverence for people that were here before and like doing things to like honor their memory and stuff like that. Even if I don't necessarily think that, you know, there's going to be like a spirit, like knocking stuff over, you know? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that you have like, um, you acknowledge that certain people's beliefs have that. Cause I've, I've noticed that, you know, you kind of got to tread lightly when you talk about these subjects with people, cause you really just don't know where they're coming from. And I've always mm-hmm. just been so open-minded, but I know sometimes I probably leave people in conversation like, what is she on? <laughs> and I did grow up uh, with a religious yeah. background. So, but just, you know, luckily my, my family is very open-minded about a lot of things. So when I decided to challenge things, it wasn't looked at as a bad thing. It was kind of like, well, get your knowledge, get whatever you want, you know? So I appreciate that. Yeah, there was um, somebody on Twitter. I was cracking up. It, I was laughing through my pain, but she was like, I tweet for all the people who grew up and you had to go to Hallelujah Night or like you couldn't do like the, the parties and stuff like when, because your parents were so religious or like not being allowed to like read like certain popular books and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I do agree with you. It is like a touchy thing and, you know, you could offend people kind of seriously on both sides and not even know it you know because like there's people like you know in my family who would be extremely uncomfortable like if someone were talking about like having had like an experience with the paranormal and then there's other people where if you say that that makes you uncomfortable it hurts their feelings because they do believe in it so I I do hope that you know people can be more like open about having those conversations because like there's there's a whole world out there of like different worldviews and ways of understanding life, death, and the universe that um, it's better to be, at least try to get it than to just dismiss it out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a bunch of other things that you brought up during that story too, Jasmine. I know one thing you said was that um, there's, there's usually a resurgence of um, people believing during um, like a crisis. Like, yeah 
believe yeah and looking into the afterlife during a crisis and there's this great movie that was on netflix that i watched like multiple times it's called the awakening um not to be confused with awakenings with robin williams i think um but it's the awakening from 2011 starring rebecca hall and it's about um it's like post-world war one era and she play it's it's fiction um but it's a good spooky movie first of all it's a recommendation for halloween um but it's interesting because it starts off like she is someone who explicitly goes around like to like seances because post-World War One there was a lot of people who were interested in like, you know, with that much um, tragedy worldwide, people were like looking for, you know, desperate for reasons to, you know, the, the, the idea that their loved one was on the other side somewhere, you know, their husband or their son or their brother. Right. Um, but she would go around to seances like proving how it was a trick. Because, of course, like when people are desperate, like other people try and take advantage of that sometimes, too. Um, again, it's a fiction movie, but it, I think it was very interesting. Yeah. And I, I do feel like even if you're not someone who believes, like if you do look at it as like from, I guess the word would be like an anthropological standpoint, you'd still learn a lot of valuable things just about humanity and like the way that people um, find ways to explain things that are unexplainable otherwise or to help cope with things that are mm-hmm. like universal experiences. Um, it reminds me of, this came out a couple weeks ago and I think it came out on Halloween. There was an episode of that podcast through line called Zombies. And when I was in graduate school, um, I had a professor, he passed away, but I really enjoyed his classes. Um, they focused on the francophone caribbean and like some like in black francophone countries and it was through his class that i learned about like the origins of zombies like in haiti like the origin of that belief and how it's tied to slavery you know and like they were make they were coming up with a way to make sense of like someone who is basically like a living dead person because of the way that you're treated And that was such a, like, nightmare, like, on the national psyche, like, that, you know, these people were just, their bodies were just being used, but they weren't themselves, like, they weren't fully who they, you know, were meant to be. Um, I'm not explaining it well, but I would encourage people to listen to that episode, because it's super fascinating, and, like, read up on it, you know, it's, you, it's it's fascinating you learn a lot and it really helps you to like have a more nuanced understanding of like why we have monsters and ghosts and entities you know across cultures and like what purpose they serve for us and like what we can learn um, about each other through them yeah that's really cool I know and um similar on a similar note too like it is like there are like the origins of all these like monsters really go way way back I know um, in Judaism, there's something called a golem, which is very similar to like a Frankenstein type thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting, like how those things um, do really have a through line back to like these deeply like cultural um, old, old belief systems. That's a great point. Definitely. The more you learn about the world, the more you expand your understanding of people's practices, you know, especially with Halloween, even in the Mexican culture, you know, uh, the day of the dead is very revered and it's not something that they keep silent, but the ancestral connection to all of this, I think is very interesting because that's kind of like the, the thread that connects people across cultures, which is really cool. 
All right. Thank you so much. That was a really great segment, Jasmine, and a great story. We're going to go ahead and hop into our next music break. This song is a classic throwback. It's Spiderwebs by No Doubt. We'll be right back.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll hop right into our world news segment. So this story comes from CNN, uh, and it's it's very, very interesting. The title of the story is DNA Reveals Unexpected Origins of Enigmatic Mummies Buried in a Chinese Desert. And the author is Katie Hunt. Since their discovery, the ancestry of hundreds of mummified bodies buried in boats in an inhospitable desert region in northwest China has puzzled and divided archaeologists. Found in the Tarim Basin in Zhejiang, mostly in the 1990s, the mummies' bodies and clothes are strikingly intact despite being up to 4,000 years old. Naturally preserved in the dry desert air, Their facial features and hair color can clearly be seen. Their Western looks, felted and women wool clothing, and the cheese, wheat, and millet found in their unusual graves suggest that they were long-distance herders from from West Asia or migrating farmers from the mountains and desert oases of Central Asia. However, a new study by Chinese, European, and American researchers that analyzed the DNA of these 13 mummies, sequencing their genomes for the first time, has painted a different picture. Their analysis suggested that the remains did not belong to newcomers, but a local group descended from the ancient Ice Age Asian population. The mummies have long fascinated scientists and the public alike since their original discovery. Beyond being extraordinarily preserved, they were found in a highly unusual context and and they exhibit diverse and far-flung cultural elements, said Christina Warner, an associate professor of anthropology at Harvard University. We found strong evidence that they actually represent a highly genetically isolated local population, added Warner, who is also a group leader of the microbiome sciences at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology and an author of the study that published that published this in the journal um, on Wednesday. The researchers looked at the genetic information from the oldest Tarim Basin mummies, dating back to 3,700 to 4,100 years old, together with genome sequence from the remains of five people from the Zargarian Basin farther north of Zhejiang region of China. Dating back to 4,800 and 5,000 years ago, they were the oldest human remains found in the region. Ancient DNA can provide powerful evidence about the movements of people at a time when written records or other clues are scarce. The research found that the Tarim Basin mummies show no sign of admixture, and that's a scientific term for having babies, with other groups that lived at the same time. The mummies were direct descendants of a group that once widespread during the Ice Age, but had largely disappeared by the end of the era, around 10,000 years ago. Called ancient northern Eurasians, traces of the hunter-gatherer population survive only fractionally in the genomes of present-day populations, with indigenous peoples in Siberia and in America having the highest known proportions. 
finding them in the Terran Basin and dated finding them in the Terran Basin and dated to these years was unexpected. The other genetic samples from farther north in Xiang, Zhishang, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, guys, show that the people they became they came from mixed extensively with different Bronze Age populations in the region, making it remarkable that Terran Basin mummies are so genetically isolated. While remote now, in the Bronze Age, this was a region of incredible crossroads. There was a vibrant mixing of north, south, east, and west going back as far as 5,000 years ago, said Michael Frechetti, a professor of anthropology at Washington University in St. Louis. It makes it all more paradoxical in a way that you have a community which is heavily integrated from cultural perspectives, but who maintains some very, very iconic and unique components of their own local ideology, local culture, local barrier traditions, as well as the seemingly unmixed genetic profile that goes back even further into deep time primordial ancestry. So a couple of unanswered questions while the DNA remains revealing, while the DNA study reveals tantalizing details about the mummies, it's unlikely to be the last word on their origins. The study looks at mummies found at a single site, and it's unclear whether sequencing a wider range of sites in the Terran Basin might result in the discovery of different genetic ties. Franchetti said ancient genetic samples from the region are still relatively rare, and it is possible that they could find other genetic influences from the Himalayans or Tibet. So I'll stop right there for the article. Um, I think this is really interesting primarily because the pictures are so clear. Like they had hair intact, clothing intact. Like I've never seen any remains. Well, I've never seen any remains, period. But in general that have been preserved so well. It's really, really um, intriguing to see the pictures and what they look like today. That's super interesting. Did you explain why they were so well preserved? Did, Did I miss that? Do they know? Isn't it the climate? It didn't part of it. The climate, climate as well as because they were a specific group, the way that they were buried was different. It was an isolated group of people, so I guess they had different burial mm. practices. But the climate did mm. have something to do with it. Super interesting. I I know there was a similar. My favorite murder. Not to talk about another show. Recently, did a story about like these bog people that were preserved in Ireland. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a common thing to go see if you ever visit. Oh yeah. Speaking of, I don't know if that's my, <laughs> I don't know if I want to see it in person, but, um, yeah, like that stuff is so interesting. The way that people have learned or have like the earth itself is able to preserve things for millennia. It's pretty wild. Yeah, there's one more uh, paragraph from the article that's interesting. It says, although earlier work has shown the mummies lived on the shores of an oasis in the desert, it's still unclear why they were buried in boats covered in cattle hides with oars at their head, a rare practice not seen elsewhere in the region and perhaps best associated with the Vikings. So Mm. the way they were buried, I mean, within boats covered by this cattle hide, I guess for 5,000 years, it kept them intact. I gotta say, I'm, I have very mixed feelings about these types of things, especially now, because I feel like when I was younger, like when I would go to the museum and stuff and like you see mummies or like you see other, you know, remains of different people, it is fascinating to learn about, 
you know, to the way that they can determine certain things about peoples that were ancient, like that lived thousands and thousands of years ago. But I do feel a way about disturbing people's bear, like where people were buried, like cemeteries or like, clearly like they went through a lot of effort to put these people away in a, cer- in a certain way, like in accordance with their beliefs. And I just... I don't know. It's, I guess I'm just becoming more sensitive to it. Like as I get older that I'm just like, it just gives me the ick, you mm-hmm. know, it's like digging up bodies and like, look, I'm like, I feel like, you know, they weren't meant to be looked at again. Um, but I guess it, you do then wonder like, how else would you learn some of these things about like these ancient peoples? But yeah, it's definitely like, a, a it gives me mixed emotions. That's super interesting, Jasmine. I, and I, I think I get where you're coming from too. Cause on, in a current, like in our current world, like cemetery desecration is a really big, um, way that, that people go after like marginalized groups. Like I know in the Jewish community, it happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, does intention make it better if it's just like for discovery? Cause it's so old and like, you know, again, length of time, does that make it better? Like, I don't know. Right. I don't have but those are like, that seems to be why, why people are okay with it. Um, and like that longer term thing, but that's really interesting. Yeah. And I also, it probably came up in the article and I may have missed it, but it's also like some, it, is it people that are of that region that are doing it? Or is it, you know, people coming from elsewhere that are then Mm -hmm. like extracting these things and taking them somewhere else? you know, where, you know, that makes somewhat of a difference to me as well. Like there was this really, it was this really beautiful exhibit about Mali, like the kingdoms of Mali that was at the Metropolitan Museum Mm -hmm. a few years ago. It was really great. But one thing I liked about it is like, it was all things that were from that place that were going back. So it was curated by people from the area they were going to be returned back to like the place where they were from. Like they weren't like a lot of museums in France, for example, where they just straight up stole the stuff and are like, it's ours now. And like, we're going to educate people about it. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely tricky and, you know, just something to keep in mind, I think. Yeah. The article didn't specify uh, why uh, this research was done. It just seems like it was a bunch of anthropologists in the region. Um, And this has been going on for a while, but I guess there was some recent discoveries uh, in this area. I did gain respect a little bit more for anthropologists and people who study this stuff when I went to Egypt, because it's kind of like a whole world under the ground. And when you see some of these sites that they're still working on, you see like pieces of the recovery coming, but you can't really tell what it is. I was just really enthralled by the people who dedicated their lives to this work. You know, like I totally get where you're coming from. Like we, I in some ways agree that we should not disturb the past and people once they've been buried. But there is something really intriguing about people who are interested in, um, you know, tracing science in that way to maybe provide insight or uh, whatever reasons that they do it or just like curiosity. But I was just, I was kind of very interested in the anthropologists and the people who were doing this work because it's like, you know, how do you decide to commit to this? And then you find ancient kingdoms and all of this uh, history and it just really unlocks so much culture that we may not have found anywhere else. 
But um, yeah, check out the article, guys. There's some really great uh, pictures there as well. And uh, interesting topic. So <laughs> I guess we'll move on to the good news. Emily, what do you have for us today? All righty. So uh, this good news story uh, is very topical. Uh, it comes from an October 12th NPR article by Jacqueline Diaz titled Get the Candy Bowl Ready. Dr. Fauci says Halloween is a go this year. Uh, quote, it's time to get those costumes and bowls of candy ready. Halloween is just around the corner. And unlike last year, trick-or-treating can go ahead this season. That's according to the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I think that, particularly if you're vaccinated, you can get out there and enjoy it, Fauci told CNN's State of the Union this weekend. After more than 18 months under the dark cloud of the coronavirus pandemic, the Halloween celebration should be able to go ahead safely, he said. That's a refreshing change from last year's celebrations that were largely canceled due to high cases of COVID-19 and no vaccine yet available. As many adults and now younger Americans over the age of 12 are getting vaccinated, Fauci said trick-or-treating outdoors, where the risk for infection is lower, should be safe for young children. This is a time that children love. It's a very important part of the year for children, he said. Uh, HealthyChildren.org recommended that families stick to outdoor trick-or-treating and doing so in small groups. For handing out candy and and other goodies, the website recommended sitting outside and lining up individually prepackaged treats for children to take. Uh, So yeah, just a little like a little spark of uh, a joy or something. I don't know for the end of the year. Um, But things also do change very quickly these days. So that was from about two weeks ago. So definitely, definitely, you know, double check all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of good news there. Yeah, good news for the kitties out there. Yeah. Yeah, it must be so strange. I like I mean, I thought about this a lot in the last year, like being that age and essentially this is the only world you know is one filled with, you know, danger and face masks. We lost her again. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I, I, Mm, like maybe like you mean if this would be their mm. first Halloween uh yeah or if they were like maybe the first one they remember right if they're like four or five they might not remember mm-hmm. when they were younger um things like that yeah yeah I mean I, th- I think it's cool that it, it is nice that the nature of the way people celebrate is by default kind of more safe like going outside being you know not necessarily being in an enclosed space so it's a it's a mm-hmm. decent time of year because it hasn't gotten too cold yet and it's not usually like inclement weather. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I hope that you know they're able to salvage it this year and it's a lot of fun. I know in my neighborhood it's fun to see the costumes. Like there was somebody last year. I don't know if it was a man, woman, child, what, but it was someone in a big reptar costume. And I was like, I said to this parent, yes. this, this guy was was working, was walking with his kid. And I said to him, because he seemed like my age, I was like, do kids even know who reptar is? And then his kid was like, <laughs> I know who it is. And then I said, okay, then who is it? And he was like, uh, uh. <laughs> It's like, yeah, exactly. You don't know. What do you know about Reptar? (laughs) Yeah, age does make a difference. I threw a little Halloween something for my students yesterday, and I played the um, Will Smith, DJ Jazzy Jeff, like, Nightmare on My Street. And they all were looking at me like I had two heads. I was like, y'all don't know that song? I don't know that song. 
Wow. Maybe I do have two heads. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> well, when I was younger, my brother and, you know, all the people who liked hip hop used to play this so loud. They couldn't wait to Halloween to blast that song. Nonetheless, I hope everybody has a wonderful Halloween. Um, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Objection to the Rule. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day is Monster by Kanye West featuring Nicki Minaj, Jay-Z, and Rick Ross. We will see you next week. Happy Halloween! Bye, everybody. Happy Halloween. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? Bitch, I'm a monster, no good blood sucker. Fat motherfucker, now look who's in trouble. As you run through my jungles, all you hear is rumbles. Kanye West samples, here's one for example. Gossip, gossip, nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I get it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands. Best living or dead, hands down, huh? Let's talk more here right now, huh? And my eyes more red than the devil is. And I'm about to take it to another level, bitch. Down who you going with, yeah. Ain't nobody cold as this. Do the rap and the track, triple double, no assist. And my only focus is staying on some bogus shit. Arguing with my older bitch, acting like I owe a shit. I heard the beat, the same raps that gave the track pain. Bought the chain that always give me back pain. Fucking up my money, so yeah, I had to act same. Shy nigga, but these hoes love my act. It's the number two dial. If you wanna make it number one, you're number two now. Miss that goose in Malibu, I call it Malibu, yeah. Goddamn easy, I would hit him with a new style. Know that motherfucker well, what you gonna do now? Whatever I wanna do, gosh, it's cool now. Now I'm gonna do, ah, it's new now. Think you motherfucker really, really need to cool out. Cause you'll never get on top of this. So mommy, best advice is just to get on top of this. Have you ever had sex with a pharaoh? I put the pussy in a sarcophagus. Now she claiming that I bruise her esophagus Head of the class and she just want to swallow shit I'm living in the future so the presence is my past My presence is a present, kiss my ass Gossip, gossip, nigga just stop it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert Profit, profit, nigga I got it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands Sasquatch, Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness, Goblin, Ghoul, a zombie with no conscience. Question, what do these things all have in common? Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster. Conquer, stop your, stop your silly nonsense. Nonsense, none of you niggas know where the swamp is. None of you niggas have seen the conch that I've seen. I still hear things scream in my dreams. Murder, murder, and black convertibles. I kill a block, I murder the avenues. I Raping village of village, women and children. Everybody wanna know what my Achilles heel is. Love, I don't get enough of it. All I get is these vampires and bloodsuckers. All I see is these niggas I made millionaires. Milling about, spilling their feelings in the air. All I see is these fake fucks with no fangs. Trying to draw blood from my ice cold veins. 
smell a massacre. Seems to be the only way to back you back. Nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I get it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands. Pull up in a monster automobile gangster with a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in a tanga, color a Willy Wonka. You could be the king, but watch the queen come. Okay, first thing. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.